I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to the Lucky Let Court Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express and a proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Chris Otto. Happy to be with you on Tuesday, October 12th, and we're here to talk about the BMP Paribas Open. Tennis is in full flight at Indian Wells as we speak, just about five minutes till kickoff on Tuesday's action, which we'll see the round of 16 on the women's side. It has been a great event on the women's side. We saw the return of Leila Fernandez and Emma Raducanu to the court after their thrilling runs at the U.S. Open where they participated in the first all-teenage Grand Slam final in over 20 years. Raducanu lost in the first round. Fernandez still alive in the draw after a big win over Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova. The Canadian... Fernandez will face off with, who will she face off with? Shelby Rogers today. We talk a lot with Richard Pagliaro of Tennis Now, who's going to join me in a few seconds. We talk a lot about these two young players, and we also talk about Andy Murray, who's facing Alexander Zverev today. And generally, we take a look at his fortunes over the 2021 season and where things might be headed for Muzza as he moves on into 2022 in a year that we'll see him turn 35. So why don't we talk about this stuff with Richard? Let's get right to the interview. We'll see you guys on the other side. Richard Pagliaro, nice to have you back. Great to chat some Indian Wells with you today. How are you? I'm doing great, and it's great to talk to you, Chris. And also it's great to have Indian Wells back because it's just such a beautiful tournament. It is pretty cool. Indian Wells in October definitely definitely works. Um, weather's been a little bit different at times. It's been a little hotter during the day. Um, yesterday, yesterday was an aberration for sure with the two-hour rain delay and the extreme winds gusts up to 50 miles per hour. Hopefully it'll be better for the rest of the tournament in terms of the wind. Yeah, and you see the players, you know, it's the end of a long year and it's nice to see a lot of players still hold up physically through that heat because like they always say after the matches, it's dry heat too. So sometimes you don't even realize how much water you lose and how quickly you can lose the water. So, uh, you know, it's it's been great to see the guys stand, a lot of the men and women stand up physically. Yeah, we can talk about that too as, uh, with reference to the, the a lot of the players that still have a lot to play for in Indian Wells. The races to Guadalajara and Turin are heating up, especially Guadalajara because it's closer. Owens Jabor is a player is moving, catching up, gaining some ground, Igus Fiontech. But before we get to any of that stuff, I want to focus in on Andy Murray. He's looking at a really important match today with Alexander Zverev, which should be um, interesting. I want to see how he can back up two big wins at Indian Wells already, including a victory over Carlos Alcaraz on, um, was it, I think it was Sunday. It was an excellent match for Murray. It's um, nice to see him... Moving deeper into this draw and sort of 
playing the type of tennis that we know he's capable of. I don't know if he's all the way back yet, but it feels like incrementally this season he's gaining ground, even though his ranking, if you look at it, wouldn't tell you that story. But I wanted to get your take, Richard, on what you think of Andy Murray's season and what you think of the way he's playing right now at Indian Wells. And then tell me, of course, what you think his chances are against Zverev today. Well, I thought it was a phenomenal effort against Alcaraz, especially because he could have won that first set. He had a set point. Alcaraz hit a pretty good kick serve, but he didn't even put the return back. So that's, it was kind of a demoralizing way to lose that first set. But for me, you know, two of the big takeaways from that match was third set, they had some physical, long, punishing games right at the start. And he not only stayed in step, I mean, he hit some phenomenal fantastic running forehands like vintage murray that he was able to play out of the corners on the run like that against a young teenage very strong kid you know a guy that alcaraz who beat sits a pass at the open after sits a pass had beaten you know murray so i think physically that he that he held up like that but also at the end of that match he just looked a little bit hungrier to me like he really really wanted it a little bit more like it was i'm not saying alcaraz wasn't competing harder he didn't want it but he murray just had that raw look that you know that we remember from his younger years so I thought that was beautiful and some of his first titles you know this years ago came in San Jose he's always seemed to play well at California though not at this tournament but I was really really impressed um, and also that he's going after the serve a little more the underhand serve got all the headlines but he's attacking the second serve for me more it looks like he's going after it more and I think this version of Murray sure he's physically compromised he's not the same guy we all know that but in a way you can make a case he's a more interesting more intriguing player because he's doing stuff like the underhand server match point he served and volleyed you know he's looking at the opponent he says he's always had such a great brain and such a great court sense but to see him sort of use the whole repertoire that he has his entire skill set now because maybe physically he knows you know he you know he's an older guy he's been through the, he's got the metal hip and all that so i think in a way he's more interesting because he's just using more of the court more of the more of the game and showing you what a what a phenomenal all-around player he is people forget he carried that team to the davis cup title and he played doubles every single time and he's great doubles player great net skills really really good overhead so i just think i like seeing that i i feel like we're seeing the more complete murray now because he has no choice because he has to do that and you know as for, i think to your second point, that we're going to learn a lot with this Zverev match because Zverev's one of the hottest players in the game. What eighteen of his last nineteen matches he's won, and you know he's going to not—he's going to really be pumped up because Murray beat him in Cincy when it was in New York right. last year. So I think we'll learn a lot physically. How does he respond from a three-hour battle against a teenage strong guy like Alcaraz, and now take on Zverev, who's red hot? But um, I'm excited to see it, you know, and I think he's going to try to play that all-court game that he showed against Alcaraz. We'll just see how it stacks up to Zverev. But look, but Brooksby gave Zverev a little bit of a run there. He just kind of ran out, hit the wall in the third set, but Brooksby played well against Zverev. Yeah, what, that's what we expect from Jensen Brooksby right now. But, yeah. but, but let's stick with Murray. Um, 2-0 and versus Zverev. You mentioned the last win, which was big, and that was Andy's last top 10 win. Um, ranked 121 right now, Andy Murray, and I keep saying, let's get this guy in the top 100. What's it, what is it going to take? But, to, but as... If you look at the live rankings, he's dropping some Antwerp points. 
and he's down to 172. So we really need some wins, though. There's not going to be a shortage of wild cards for Murray. I think the key thing that you mentioned is the fact that he's playing better tennis. He's physically seems a lot more comfortable. If you, you know, you think his hip surgeries were a long time ago, 2018 January, and then the resurfacing in 2019. But I really think it's taken him a long time to develop the comfort and to play the type, like just to learn to play the type of tennis that he's playing now on his body, which is definitely different than it was when he was younger. He's 34 with two hip surgeries. And it's interesting to watch because a lot of people thought he would just kind of play a heavier, more aggressive game as he got older, maybe in the way that Roger Federer learned to do. But he's sort of playing the same style of intelligent, high IQ tennis. And he does need to be physical out there. And I think the best part of that now is that he's learning that he can be physical. He's been healthy throughout the re- most of this season. He's only played 20 matches at tour level. But overall, he seems to be holding up quite well. I think he's got enough in him to push next year and make his way back to the maybe top 50, maybe top 20, and sort of get hot, maybe hang around and be in the semifinals, finals of some tournaments. Would you say that's uh, what's on tap for Andy's future? I would say top 50 would be a realistic goal from what I've seen so far. I mean, you don't know physically how he's going to hold up. For me, the Zverev match is revealing because then you see, can he do it? Can he put back-to-back matches together, which is what he's going to need to do if he's going to get back inside the top 100 and then push toward 50. You've got to put back-to-back matches at consecutive tournaments, and it's just, can he physically do that? But I like your point, what you just hit on, is the physicality with the finesse. That, yeah, there's times where he's going after the first serve bigger, but he's using the slice. He's got beautiful touch, the drop shot, the drop volley. He's drawing the opponent in. So I like that because he's, that's just a different kind of style. You don't always see the finesse on, on the men's side from, from, from all the top guys. So I think that's great. But, you know, Zverev's a different sort of player. Now you're, you're, you're running into the hottest player after Medvedev right now on the tour. So yeah. it, it's going to be a huge test, and it's going to be pretty revealing, I think, to see where both of them are at. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say on Murray is I found it very interesting to hear him talk over the last few weeks. I think it was in San Diego. He's mentioned a lot that it's been interest, tricky for him on tour because he hasn't played that much and he's seeing a lot of players that he's either hasn't seen before or hasn't seen in a while. So he's unfamiliar with the type of tennis he needs to play tactically against some of these players. And he's a guy with this that plays his cerebral tennis that really scouts his opponents well, that really has a game plan that he's, that he's able to stick to. And I think he's been thrown off a little bit by not playing so much, not building up that rhythm and not having that familiarity with players. So maybe now as he's starting to play regularly on tour, which he has done for the last two months, he starts to get that comfort level with his game, with his tactics. And that's why I think that he, the potential for him to kind of, you know, like you said, top 50 maybe is a first step to think about. I think the potential is there for him now that he's gaining some comfort out there and familiarizing himself again with the opponents that he's facing. I mean, a guy like Casper Ruud, for instance, was sort of a interesting experience for Murray and um, one that he couldn't meet the challenge of last week in San Diego. He lost seven five six four, but you know he acquitted himself well even in that match. So, yeah, hopefully brighter days on the horizon for Andy Murray. Got to get him back inside the top one hundred. That that will be a nice step, and we'll see what happens today. But also Carlos Alcaraz. Um, this kid is just <laughs> Richard. You got we got to talk a little bit about him because even in even in a three set defeat to Andy Murray, I just love watching this guy play. 
Oh, my God, he's so much fun to watch, and he really goes after, and the forehand is going to be a, a massive weapon in the men's game for years to come because not only the pace, but the ball really jumps and explodes off the court like a little bit like Casper Ruud. And, uh, you know, he loves the battle. You see it in him. You see when he throws the fist. He has the passion, the emotion. He really loves to play. Great coach in Juan Carlos Ferrero, and he, you know, he's he's a guy that you look at him and you say, I can envision this guy being a top ten player for years and years and years to come, and more than that, just being able to compete and be a top player on every single surface. Yeah, world number thirty eight now, twenty two fifteen on the season, youngest player ranked that high since Rafael Nadal in April of two thousand four. Youngest U.S. Open quarterfinal just quarterfinalist just last month in U.S. Open history. So clearly bright future uh yeah it's the passion it's the explosivity of the movement that i saw against murray some of the balls that he would track down and and be and hit where you would see i'd think other guys would have to be completely defensive on that ball or maybe not even get to it he's getting to balls and being offensive on them that are just like uh, they're just it's just insane to see how he moves around the court i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You look at his legs, I mean, his legs are like tree trunks. The guy must have some of the strongest legs on the tour, and I, and I think it's a good point because a lot of guys, they'll get to that wide ball, and it'll be like a flick, you know, squash shot back. This guy, he steps out in the double alley, and he just cranks the forehand. I mean, he has a howitzer forehand, this guy. And to me, that's also another thing about the Murray matches, that you get those two different ball-striking styles where Murray's more of a flatter hitter, early play slice, and then you get these younger guys at the ball just trampolines off that court it's such a gritty court where it's jumping high so then the whole thing is the timing and the court positioning and I think when Alcaraz gets that right because he's still so far deep on the uh, return and he also looks down on the return and Murray was able to exploit that but I think when he gets more comfortable moving up and back in terms of his court positioning he's going to be even more dangerous because he hits the ball so big but also cleanly yeah yeah, top 20 next year, perhaps, but we'll see. Still very young, um, but one of the many exciting young players to watch on the ATP Tour. And we'll switch gears, uh, Richard. You ready to switch gears to the WTA? Yeah, yeah, I am, yeah. Let's do it. Young players on the WTA Tour. Emma Raducanu, Leila Fernandez. We were all so excited to see them play at Indian Wells after what they what they showed us at the U.S. Open this year, the first all-teenage final in Grand Slam history, was it? Um, just um, remarkable, remarkable performances by both at the U.S. Open. And now they've got their matches in the books at Indian Wells. Emma Raducanu unfortunately fell in her first match to Alexandra Sasnovich. And Leila Fernandez still going strong. Let's start with Raducanu. What did you see? What did you like? What did you not like about her performance? Uh, I mean, I wasn't shocked or anything because just because everything is such a whirlwind after you win a major, especially like you said, a historic major, the first qualifier to ever win a Grand Slam singles title, and she just didn't have the time really to prepare and also the coaching change and coming and working with Jeremy Bates, but apparently he's not going to be her long-term coach. So there's just a lot of stuff in flux and Sasnovich 
you know, just outplayed her, just played a better match. And you see Sasnovich going on and then beating Halep after that. So it wasn't like a fluke win or anything. I'd say the only thing was a few times she was like kind of clutching at her back or side. You want to make sure yeah. she's physically okay. And uh, just adjusting her, her, her drive. Sometimes she won't put enough for me, uh, spin on the ball when she's bat when she's pushed back or defensive, just stuff like that, where I, I felt like shot selection a little bit, but I mean, it's to be ex- expected after everything that's happened, and she just hasn't had the court time. So I wasn't surprised, but she came, she competed, and uh, I- I'm interested to see what she does for a coach because you hear all kinds of rumors that's going to be a big-name person, and you hear she wants someone, you know, with the LTA connection. So you really, I really don't know, but I think that's going to be revealing where she goes. But she's a really, really smart person, so I, I think she'll make the right choice. Let me check myself on that stat I just threw out there. The all all teenager Grand Slam finals. That wasn't that wasn't the first one, right? It was the first one since Serena and Hingis in '99. Was that what it was? Right, '99. Serena was 17, and uh, Hingis was 18, or Hingis was just a few. Or uh, yeah, Serena was 17 in '99. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. I misspoke earlier. Yeah, so, no worries. Um, Fernandez and Raducanu first. Uh, all teen Grand Slam final in over 20 years. Um, but yeah, you make good points about Emma. I liked how she shows up and how she kind of controls the narrative about the expectations that could potentially be placed on her and just keeps reiterating the fact that, hey, I'm just a kid. I'm just taking my shot. Things went well in New York. I hope they go well here, but I've got so much to learn. And I think she truly believes that. And I think her team, led by her father, I think, who's, who plays an active role in you know advising her and sort of helping her probably with this coaching service which might go on for a little while. Um, I think they have a really good approach to what's going on here. And I think for me, that was the main thing to see just how she's dealing with it mentally. And she seems fine. She seems calm. She seems poised. I have to think there's a lot going on in her head. There's definitely a lot of pressure that'll come with winning the U.S. Open so young and the media attention she's getting. But it seems like she's handling it well. And she just needs to get her feet back on the ground and keep improving her game because I think when she says she needs to improve and she's still young, she's true. I think this is like her fourth or fifth tour level event. There's lots to learn. And you think about these players, Raducanu and Fernandez, both being at Indian Wells where the conditions are so unique and there's players that are experienced veterans 30 years that have done this 10 years or so. They have such an edge over them in that regard. There, There truly is a lot of value and experience and neither of them have very much. Yeah, it's a great point because also, you know, you think about the pandemic, that's where she would have played a lot more tournaments where she was transitioning, where you would have seen her a lot more. Now, people just haven't seen her, not only some fans, but that also goes for the opponents because then they're going to figure out tendencies the more you play. And you think of other players who won maiden majors, you know, whether it was Ostapenko or Andrescu or whoever you want to say. I mean, eventually the more the players see them, obviously, Mm -hmm. then they... You know, you develop, yeah, you develop a sort of scouting and a way to attack. But I mean, to me, she's a great athlete too. She's a beautiful mover. She really improved the serve a lot. I felt even from Wimbledon to the U.S. Open, although she did serve well at Wimbledon as well. So I think that's a big thing that you, when you give her that those time blocks, she's shown you already she can take it and really put in the work on the practice court and improve. I mean, there's no doubt she was an improved player. And I see people sometimes take shots at her. Oh, who did she really beat? You know, she was one fifty. But she didn't play. Hey, come on! She beat whoever was in front of her, and she had to play through the qualities to do it. And she didn't lose a set on top of it. So whoever they put in front of her, she swept. So I'm a, I'm a big believer in her game. But like you said, it's, a, it's such a small sample size. It's just not 
you just don't know. You know, you have to see. But I think in a way that can work to her advantage because there's a mystique around her, even though she's a major champion only as a teenager. People don't really know. You don't know the depth because you haven't seen it yet. And so you want to see her on other surfaces and other circumstances against other kind of players. Yep. And then that, that will reveal more. But that's sort of the beauty of tennis is that you learn as you, as you go. Not only her, but we learn about it too. So yeah. I think it's all good, you know. And I, yeah. But I think the coach is a, is a critical thing so i'm interested to see how they how they approach that mm-hmm. yeah i've from what i've heard from some people that i spoke to is that they she's always had um a, a kind of an open door when it comes to coaches and you know uses them more as consultants than coaches like for instance she'd like to have somebody spend a couple of weeks with her at, at with from the lta to work on this shot and they kind of use coaches in, in that way so i think a lot of people maybe or overreacting to this decision like it's something that's out of the ordinary for her because I think it's sort of the norm just using different people to gain, you know, to grow her game and to get outside influences and different perspectives on different things. She doesn't want to stay locked into one point of view. So in the end, I think it's really status quo, actually, for Raducanu, where a lot of people are sort of shocked about it. But we'll move on because there's one, the other player we want to talk about, Leila Fernandez, a little bit further along in terms of experience, um, and she's shown that, this week in Indian Wells, picking up where she left off at the U.S. Open by winning tough three-setters against very tough opponents. The match against Pavlyuchenkova was just another example of what kind of fire and compete level Leila Fernandez brings to a tennis court. Boy, uh, you just got to love this girl. If you play tennis at any level, you got to love the way she plays because she throws her whole heart into it. And also when you see her against the bigger hitters, even when you see them at the at the coin toss when they take the phone, when you see her standing next to it and you see how much size she's giving up, that she's able to stand there right on the baseline, not give up any ground, and just fire back. It's really, really impressive to me. And she has a, a really cool ability on the forehand, almost like a Kerber or maybe Marcelo Rios, that she can shorten the backswing. So it's really hard to overpower her when her feet are set, you know, when she can get in position with her feet and really get her body behind the ball because she's not big at all but when she can do that i mean god you see her just take down these are some of the biggest hitters in the game pavlia jankova osaka on and on and it just doesn't phase her at all in fact it empowers her she looks almost more excited when she plays the big hitters and the angle the ability to to mix the angle the ability to take the ball down the line i mean if she can just get the serve a little a little more I think a little more reward off the serve, maybe more slice, more spin. I mean, she's 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 really dangerous player and so much fun to watch. And also the thing with Coco, you know, you see how crowd pleasing, how charismatic those young players are. People really. I mean, Coco drew some of the biggest crowds that I saw, and I'm I'm in New York, I'm not in California. That I saw, you know, at the tournament first week, and also her and Layla together. And Emma, I mean, it's it's just a real excitement and a buzz about them, which is great for the game. Yeah, they're in the quarterfinals today, uh, or maybe tomorrow. I have to check the order of play against Shea and Mertens. I imagine that'll be a packed, yeah, packed yeah. court. Oh, man, that's, that's pretty a awesome. grand slam match. I mean. <laughs> um, yeah, oh, great astute observations on the game of Layla. I, I'll add a few things because I don't normally come up with have these light bulb moments when I'm watching is to, in terms of technical and tactical aspects of the sport. I, I'll leave it to the experts usually. But I noticed one thing about Fernandez is her court positioning. She's, she takes over the center of the court incrementally, almost like a big 
big power player. She will make a strong, aggressive strike, and then she'll step a little bit further inside of the court and just start to take it over. She really owns the center of the court. She's so aggressive with it. And one thing I'm surprised about about her game over the last you know, two, three months is that she really is an attacker, a gunslinger, a shot maker. She has, yeah. pop, she has pop on her shots. She goes for it, and she hits a lot of great aggressive winners or you know, just strikes that can, can that can earn her advantages and points. I'm just impressed by how aggressive her game is because last year maybe I always thought she'd be more of a counterpuncher, passive player, not a pusher, so to speak, but just the kind of player that might rely on, on others' errors, but it's clearly not the case with her. She just takes the bull by the horns out there. And, um, it's been a real joy to watch her. And look at these last five three-setters she's played and won. Naomi Osaka, Anjali Kerber, Alina Svitolina, Arena Sabalenka, Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova. That's just since the U.S. Open, just coming through in the clutch. Yeah, and I would say two more things about her. If you ever go on her Instagram, when she shares some of the video, her footwork drills are just amazing. They blow your mind. I mean, the stuff she does, she does it on the beach, she does it in mountains, and every footwork drill I've seen, she always has the racket in her hand because she's trying to simulate, you know, how her body should be when she's doing so she puts a lot of time and her footwork is just beautiful the small steps the way she sets up for the ball and you're right that forehand it's it looks like a whippy shot but she gets so much she can crack it but she gets so much side spin too off the ball where the ball it hits and it's almost like the ball is running away from you where you're chasing the ball and the other thing that really impresses uh, me about her is her ability to connect with crowds. And that sounds yes, like a yes. simple thing, but think about the pandemic where they didn't have any people. You think about her, how young she is. To go ahead, to step onto Arthur Ashe, the biggest, you know, the biggest tennis uh, stadium in the world, and to be able to connect with people and pull people in like you're in a small little, you know, court 12. She makes a big, huge stadium seem so intimate because people really connect with her because she has that sort of feistiness, that fighting spirit, that underdog attitude. But she just keeps, like you said, that just keeps going for it. She's not passive. She's not waiting for you to lose the point. She's trying to set up the point and take the point. And people really, really connect with her, and, and that's exciting to see. Yeah, that, that's a great point. The synergy that's going on with her and the crowds, I think it was a realization for her in New York, and you're seeing more of the same at Indian Wells. She'll face Shelby Rogers in the round of 16 and could potentially face Igis Fiontek, which would be a really nice... Um, that would be a quarterfinal. That would be uh, that'd be a fun one. All eyes would be on that match. Um, let's move on. I know you wanted to talk a little bit about biggest surprises you've seen at Indian Wells so far. So have at it, Richard. What have you been surprised by? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, you just kind of you hit it. Or before on Tommy Paul, I was really surprised with how well he, he's done. It's good to see Grigor after the San Diego. You know, he played a really good match against. It's good to yeah. see him move through. Although the next match is obviously you know a really really uh, tough match. I thought the Canadian guys Felix and Dennis were going to do a little bit better, so that was a surprise to me. I thought they would both uh, do a little better. And obviously, you know, Pliskova losing, you can asterisk it because it was really. 
really freaky conditions, but usually, you know, you expect her to come through uh, on that side. Also, you know, Mugu, I thought she was going to do better just coming off the title, but that, you know, that was a really tough match, and I was played great. So, yeah, so, those are good ones, Muguruza. Yeah, she's she's been um, had a good season. Just sometimes you expect her to the times you expect her to push through aren't always the times she does it. She does it on her own schedule, right? Yeah, and I mean, I thought from my perspective, I picked um, Andrescu as a dark I really like her game. I like yeah. watching her. But, I mean, realistically, it's, it's been up and down for her. So, And Contevate has just been absolutely on fire. I mean, you wouldn't be surprised if Contevate made it all the way through to the, the way she's been playing. So, to me, that's not a bad loss. But you want, I want to see Andrescu really sort of get it, get it, get on a roll. I think she has a good coach and Sven to, to yeah. help her do that. It's just, she's getting, you see patches of it where it's like, yeah, that's Bianca Andre, and then she's not able to sustain it for a full match. Yeah, she's usually winning a round or two, though. I don't think she's in uh, de- de- dire straits at this point. It's just, you know, yeah. the things need to kind of click, and I think she's yeah. going through a little bit what uh, Igus Fiontek went through, where you're just wait, saying to yourself, why am I not playing like I did when I just was unbeatable for like 12 matches during 2019? season first Fiontech it was 2020 Roland Garros and they have to come to grips with the reality which is it's not always going to be that good you're not always going to win the U.S. Open on your main draw debut every week and on tour it's going to be 10 years of a grind right um, so. absolutely yeah absolutely and Iga's just been annihilating P. I mean Iga if you had to put a gun in my head and say pick one I would pick her to take the tie just the way she's played but obviously the Ostapenko that's a big big match but she just played lights out and she just looks so she looks so calm but it, at the same time aggressive she knows what she wants to do and she's playing more variety for me which i like to see on on the hard court good surface for her with the high bouncing you know you could hear her talk about it before the tournament that I, she just likes the way this court plays and this is her debut she beat uh, what petra petra martich and Kudermatova won in love as she beat Kudermatova, so she's clearly in pretty good form. Surprises before we move on, I wanted to say um, Saznovich, obviously a big surprise, ranked 100, yeah. and having you know being the player that emerged from what we thought might be Halep or Raducanu, that's a great effort by her, a former top 30 player, just having a nice moment. Tommy Paul, of course, as you hit on, was, was remarkable, and um, Beatrice Haddad Maya taking out Pliskova was just a cool moment. Lucky loser into the round of 16. And another one is Anna Kalinskaya, ranked 151, is also in the round of 16. But let's move on and talk about what you sort of started to hit on. Players you can imagine winning this title now that we're, you know, at the round of 16 on the women's side and almost there on the men's side. We will be there after today's play. Um, give me a couple names, men, a couple names, women, that you think um, have, have the best shot at taking this title. From the bottom half, I would definitely pick Iga just based on what I've seen but you know look Svitolina getting through Kirstia you never know or you know Svitolina's really good on that surface on the top I would look at either uh Krejcikovic she can beat Paula Badosa Paula Badosa's coming off a good win off Coco or I would look at Contave just because she's been, just been so hot lately but you know someone like Ans has a lot to play for as well and she's put together some good wins so those from the top I would say you know either Barbora or uh or Contave with Ans in there and from the bottom I'd be looking at Iga yeah I was you know I have the same two names Iga on the bottom, Contivate, who's won 15 and 16, you'd think maybe she's played her hottest hand already by winning uh, Cleveland and Ostrava, but paired up with Dmitry Tursanov as her new coach just seems to be in a really good place. Um, I like Owens as well. Um, I think she definitely was, is looking at a couple more wins here, but if she gets a couple more, that'll put her past Contivate. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Men's side, who do you got? 
you know, I hate to be boring, but for me, Medvedev, just the way he's played and also this surface, and I mean, even going back to Labor Cup, I mean, he just put a beat down on, I, I gotta go with Medvedev from the top half, and I love Grigor, I love watching him too, but I just think, you know, just look at what he's done, look at the way he's playing, also, this is a guy with number one, you know, in his sights, on his mind, he doesn't, to me, look satisfied by winning his maiden major, I don't see any kind of hangover, yep. also, he knows that hard court is his surface, he's not a guy that's put up great results on clay, although he had his best Roland Garros this year, we don't know, although, you know, grass, you don't know what he's going to do there, but this is his time, this is his moment, uh, I would definitely pick him, although you could say someone like Hercotch obviously has a lot to play for, too, from the top half, I think you've got to go with Medvedev, on the bottom, um, you know, I kind of like I kind of like to see Sinner come through there. I know he didn't have to, you know, he had the walkover. Uh, It's kind of, you know, if you got Zverev Sinner, I mean, obviously you'd have to favor Zverev just because he's just so red hot and Sitsipas is is there on the bottom too. But I'd like to see Sinner come through from there. And I think maybe that walkover could work to his advantage that it'll be fresh. Mm -hmm. And, you know, also the Miami, I realize totally different conditions, Indian Wells to Miami, but the guy's in the Miami final, you know, a few months back. Yeah, Zverev has said he doesn't love this surface, and yeah, that's well, that's why I was reluctant. Also, be until this year, Zverev really hadn't done much here. Although he had the, you know, when he should have beat twenty sixteen, it was so long right, ago, right? Early on, and he had that match. He didn't win, but he, yeah, when you when a guy says I'm not really comfortable here, to me, that's not a red flag. But you're like, hey, maybe he just, you know, just doesn't feel comfortable. Doesn't feel yeah, like yeah. he has long term. I mean, when someone says that, I I listen to him. So we don't. That's mention- why I would. That's why I would say Sinner from that side. I just think Sinner, you know. Uh, but you know, you, you, since about the number two seed, he's played great all year. So you wouldn't you wouldn't be surprised. And then you got some of the Spanish guys down there too with uh, Carino Bust. You know, guys that can really have shown you that they can that they can grind. You know, a, a nice story so far in the late sort of the fall of the season is Monfi. It's, it's nice to see Monfi. Yes. Still playing and still around. He came off a good tur- couple good tournaments, and he seems excited with the fans. He seems happy. You see him at Alina's matches. It's just great to see him around. I mean, this tournament, you could say, even though they've had different results, you know, Kim Kleisters went out early. She was a walk-up. But Murray, Mont, just nice to see these players, these champions come back, and you really get to, to celebrate them and see them again. It's great. An old-school battle tonight on Stadium 2, 6 p.m., Gael Monfils and Kevin Anderson. That should yeah. be fun. Um, yeah, you didn't seem to mention Matteo Berrettini. He's like the guy that people don't seem to mention as one of the best players out there, but he he definitely is. So I would say oh, well, yeah. I would just add, well, watch out for him. Mention him is because his body, like he's you know, you hear stuff that he's just not right, the physically at the open. I, I I just don't know physically how he is. Yeah. But yeah, okay. if he's physically right, like I was in the Wimbledon final. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And it'll be interesting to see how Sitsipas can perform. I mean, he's the second seed. From that lower half, um, he's got Fabio Fanini, which could be a great match tonight on the main stadium. That'll be the nightcap, the last match of the night. So, yeah, lots of stuff to look forward to. I also will mention Casper Root. I do think he can win this title. I do think this is a perfect place for him to play with the high bounce doing so, you know, helping a lot of those players that do have success on clay. Plus, he's just so high on confidence, maybe a little bit too oh, high. Yeah. He really gutted out a nice win against Lloyd Harris yesterday in a match that he easily could have lost, which really impressed me because that was a match where he wasn't able to dominate like he has in many of his recent matches, like he did winning the San Diego title. Um, but he still found a way to win, which showed me that he's he's really doing things right at kind of in every area of his game, including the mental game. He's been really, probably for me, this part of the season, 
the most impressive player like that's since the U.S. Open. Um, and that's our last topic, which is guys that are, that are maybe looking at making runs and finishing the season strong. He'd be my number one guy. I think he's going to qualify for Turin. And who knows how we'll do there, but it'll be a fantastic way to finish the season for a guy who was started the season at 27th in the world, known strictly as a clay court player. He's starting to win titles on hard. He's looking like a future top five player, future slam champion in my eyes recently. Yeah, when you see him, like you said, everyone thought they everyone respected him on clay, but also he was typecast as a clay quarter. So when you see him do this now, what he's done on hard court, let's not forget even Labor Cup when he beat Opa. I mean, he indoors on a hard court for a guy with that kind of game to do it. He showed you he's for real. Yeah, for sure, I could see the guy making him. And every time you think, yeah, they're going to get to his backhand. They're going to break down his backhand. It's coming. He's always able to get around it, and that shows you his athleticism, his footwork, and his foot speed, yeah, that yeah. he's able, on the big point, he's able to get the forehand so much. And I guess, you know, working at, he's trained at uh, Rafa's Academy, hit with, I mean, it just, it's just incredible that you think they're going to be able to get to him, they're going to slice him short, and they just can't yeah. on the big point. They haven't been able to, and that just shows you how good he is. That he, you know, everyone knows he's going to hit the forehand. He still hits the forehand. He still beats you with the forehand. It's incredible. It's a good point. He goes to Rafa and says, "How can I get through like a whole tournament without hitting my backhand?" But I want to say, yeah. I want to point out, his backhand is very much improved and is pretty steady. It is. It is. Yeah. Especially the return, the backhand return. Yeah. Yeah. So. um so yeah, I, I, another guy I see finishing the season very strong is Cameron Norrie. He's not, he's not a guy that really like um, aesthetically people get totally jazzed to watch. He's got a little bit of a funky pancake backhand, but man, has he been strong and determined and solid this season. He competes so well, too, and he's a guy that can shorten the backswing on his backhand so well that you can't, you give him pace to the backhand, it comes back even faster sometimes. It's so flat and hard and in such a different shot than his forehand. It's a little bit, it reminds me in a weird way, a little bit like Sakari, even though they're different players, the trajectory of her backhand is so much different than her forehand. It's almost like you're playing two different people, and that can be very unsettling with him, and he's a smart guy, really competes hard, he's a tough guy. British tennis has a lot to be proud of you know with him you look at what dan evans has done beating novak earlier this year in in um monte carlo you look at emma obviously you look at what the doubles guys have done i mean they've had a great year yeah that's definitely true they have a lot to be it's kind of a surprisingly good year with andy murray still out of the he's been a great story but like you know we said he's not in the top 100 but god emma radicanu and cam nori have helped out significantly um yeah and on the women's side i think you know for me i'm just curious to see who pushes through to get to guadalajara i love watching ones jebor and love the passion she puts on the court and um, as she chases you know really um, important milestones for herself and for the people who root for her Absolutely, and you also see the respect that the other players and the general admiration that the other players, just at the end, whenever you see her shake hands with you, you see the players really, really like her and respect her because she's a trailblazing player. They realize how hard it is to do what she's done and what she continues to do. So that'll be great for the season-ending tournament in Guadalajara, especially because it sounds like Barty, it sounds like some other players aren't going to make the trip. So it just gives you those kind of really compelling storylines to follow, and she'd be a great one. If Barty doesn't make it, and I don't know, we don't know if Osaka is going to play either. But Owens right. could, Owens could pass right. Osaka actually with one more win in Indian Wells, and that could put that could. I don't think Osaka will play before Guadalajara if she does play it. So that'll put Owens in really good shape. Um, so yeah, it's it's great. It's been um, it's been a great 
four, five, six days of Indian Wells, and we've got a lot to go. So thanks for joining me today, Richard, and breaking it down. Maybe we'll uh, touch base Monday, see how, see if all our predictions were correct, and talk about who won this tournament after all. So thanks for coming in, and we'll talk soon. Yeah, Chris, thank you very much. Thanks a lot. This edition of the Lucky Let Court Podcast is a wrap. Thanks, as always, to special guest Richard Pagliaro for joining us. Don't forget you can find Richard's work at www.tennisnow.com. You can also find Tennis Now on social at facebook.com slash tennis now on Twitter at tennis underscore now. Hit us up on Instagram. And very important, please check us out on apple Podcasts, we'd love it if you rate and review subscribe to this podcast if you like it write us a nice review it would mean a lot go to your apple podcast app type in lucky let cord podcast and voila you shall find us thank you so much for listening enjoy the rest of indian wells and we'll see you next week to talk about how it all went down <laughs>